0: Gitin Daf Kaf Gimel, we have two Mishnayot today. The first one is about who is competent to write a get, and the second one is who is competent to deliver a get. So, anyone can write a get, even a deaf person or someone who's mentally uh, incompetent or a child. A woman can write a get, and even the wife herself can write her own get, and in parallel, a man can write the receipt for his uh, payment of the Kituba. Um, even though eventually, though, if, if the woman writes it, he, she has to give it to the husband so that the husband can give it to her. And the other way around also, if the man is writing the receipt, he has to give it to the wife so that when she receives the payment, she can give the receipt to the husband. So even though the person writing it is going to be the ultimate um, receiver of it, that's okay because the get has to be uh, ratified by the signatures. So therefore, uh there's no problem of the woman writing the text of the get, and then she's not going to keep it because she has to give it to the husband so that the husband can have people sign it, and then he will give it back to her. Uh, therefore, that's totally fine. All right. Now we're asking about charei shotei They are not mentally competent. So how could they write the get? Amad we're going to have three answers to this question. And the first one by Rabuna is that there is an adult standing over the Hadesho Tevekatan and thereby making sure, telling them, listen, as you're writing this, this is going to be leshem this woman, right? It has to be lishma. And so um, these people, even though they're not fully competent, but they have a, enough knowledge, they have enough knowledge, they know how to write, enough knowledge that the adult there standing there will say, okay, when you're writing this, it's going to be for this man, for this woman, right? Right. Um, so that is sufficient to fulfill Lishma. All right, that's the one for one answer. Now, Adam Nachman says, wait a second, if there is a Jew standing over him, then. A non-Jew who's writing the get also should be fine, right? Because what are you worried about? That this, he's not going to be writing it Lishma. Obviously, he's talking about a non-Jew who is a scribe. He knows how to write well. Um, so you're worried that he's not going to write Lishma. But have a, a man, have a Jew uh, standing over him, telling him that you're writing this Lishma. And if you say, yes, indeed, I want to include the uh, non-Jew can also write it. Um, but that's impossible because the says a is disqualified from writing a get. And the answer, Sefzalat mm-hmm. challenge to Ravuna, Ravuna can answer, Goy, ledate de avad. a guy it was an adult has is mentally competent and he's writing it according to his own will so it actually makes it worse that he is an adult an adult who's mentally competent if you have a child or someone else who's not mentally competent fully mentally competent they have some a little competence they know how to write um, but since they have, don't have full mental competence, therefore the adult Jew standing over them will tell them, listen, you are writing for the sake of this man and this woman, and that's fine. Uh, the problem with the non-Jew adult is that he has a mind, a full mind of his own. And therefore, even with a Jew adult standing there telling him, I want you to write it, L'shem, this man and this woman, he may have in mind, says, no, I don't feel like doing that. I'm going to have in mind that it's going to be for something else for someone else. And so his uh, full ndat, um actually works against the possibility of a Goy writing. So that's how Ravuna could answer the question. So Ravuna is still good. Hadad amad Rav Nachman, later on Rav Nachman changed his mind. And he says, you know what? In fact, I think that a non-Jew can write a get. He's going to know this from the next Mishnah that we're going to see in a few minutes. Uh, The next Mishnah says a non-Jew is not allowed to be an agent to deliver the get, um, and it has a similar list as our Mishnah, and adds in goi. So by comparing the Mishnah that we just had to the next Mishnah, it's evident that only in the next Mishnah about delivering a goi cannot do it, but in this Mishnah, which doesn't mention goy, the cl- contrast is clear, um, that for uh, writing the get, it's clear that the goi can do it, and so he says. In fact, um, forget my question. I think that uh, a a non-Jew can write the can write the get. And if you'll ask, how could a non-Jew write the get? He has a mind of its own, of his own, and he's not gonna he's not necessarily gonna write it lishma, even if there's a Jew standing over him. So Rav Nachman actually is giving a completely new answer, and we're gonna see it elaborated in just a, one paragraph. Rav Nachman is gonna say that our Mishnah is actually the opinion of the Bimeir. Who does not write, require that the get be written lishma? And therefore, anyone can write it. A goy can write it because it doesn't need to be written lishma, it's no problem. You just need someone who knows how to write. Okay, now before we get to that, we have to ask him about this. Buta clearly says that ananju cannot write the get. How can you just say now that ananju can write the get? That baraita is the opinion of Rabbi that's to be Azad tanab bin Shamuah, who says that the witnesses of delivery are the main ones that effectuate the divorce. And because the, those witnesses are the most important, therefore you don't need witnesses to sign the document. Since you don't need witnesses to sign the get, so, um, in order to have lishma, you can't just, you cannot just have the witnesses signing lishma, because you don't even need witnesses at all. Therefore, the writing has to be lishma, right? We saw this yesterday that the Biel because he emphasizes the witnesses to the delivery, and so he has no no necessary witnesses to the signing. Therefore, he puts greater importance to the writing of the get because there is no signing of the get. So he needs the kitivat to be lishma. And if a Nanju writes it, then Nanju may very well be writing it uh, for his own will, and we can we don't know what he has in mind. And we can't uh um we can't stand over him and tell him because he has a mind of his own. Uh therefore, according to Rav Nachman, this Bedaita's the opinion of Rabbi Al Azad, but our Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Now, let's see. Amar Av. Nachman explained that according to the Meir, even if, Rabbi Nachman is reporting that he has a tradition in the name of Rabbi Meir, that even if someone found a get in the garbage and it happened to be, he opens it up and has the same names as the as the people that he wants to use it for, right? It was written for some other, Avraham and Sarah, and now he finds it in the garbage. Oh, look, Avraham and Sarah same name, same everything. Um, you can sign it and give it, and that would be totally fine. Why? Because Bmiir says that it's the Ede Hatima Karte. It's the witnesses that sign it. They're the ones that effectuate the divorce, and therefore it doesn't matter who wrote it, who they wrote it for, as long as it was written. You uh, all you need is that the witnesses will write, will sign it, lishma, and give it, and that is kosher. Okay, good. So we're now connecting right a lot of things together. We're connecting the famous machloket between the Meir and Rabbi Elazad about which witnesses are are needed with the need for when do you need when do you have to have Lishmah? Rabbi Elazad says you need lishma for the writing and so that B'dayta would be for the writing. Um, this B'dayta, the ge- Goy can't do it would be Rabbi Azad. and according to Rav Nachman our Mishnah is actually Rabbi Meir and does not require Lishmah, and that's why any of these people can read it, can write it, even without an adult standing over there or over them. All right, Now we have a, ch- a few challenges, three challenges to Rav Nachman. la my love, Nachman. According to you, your interpretation of the Bimeir. And now we're assuming that these um, sources are all to be meir. Um, the pasuk says vechatav la, The man has to write it for the sake of this woman, meaning for lishma, right? Isn't that referring to the writing of the get? It says the word vechatav. And Av can answer can answer la hatimat Adim. Maybe when it says vechatav, it's referring to the signatures, which are also written. And so you're writing a lot of things. So the writing doesn't necessarily have to mean the writing of the text of the get. It can mean the writing of the signatures has to be for her sake good um et behedava kol gate niktav shelo le shum isha pasul. The first challenge was from a Pasuk. The second challenge is from well, a in the Pasuk. The second challenge is from a Mishnah uh, later on uh, tomorrow Zdaf that says any get that was uh, written not for the sake of this particular woman is no good. So obviously a get has to be written Lishma ema she shelo lishum isha pasul. No I can interpret that when it's even though it says Nichtav here, I'll interpret that as referring to the signatures if it's written without um, uh, the not for the sake of a certain woman, then it's Pasul. And again, even though it says niktav, which a simple reading would mean to write the Get, but you also are writing the signatures, so he says, no, it's only the signatures. et uh, Now we have another challenge from a Braita. If a person uh, writes a Get, um, then uh, it's as if he's writing the, the whole thing Lishma, meaning if he writes part of the Get Lishma, Right? And we know that he part of the get he wrote Lishma when he's writing it. Um, then we can assume that the whole thing he's also writing for her sake. That's what the Bhaita says. Now what does that mean? Which part is he writing Lishma? Which part not? Does it not mean that when he's writing the todef, the essential uh, uh, part of the get, which is the names, date, place, and the main formula that you need. Uh, if you write that part lishma, then it's as if you wrote the entire rest of it. The standard formulation that, or any extra conditions that you put in, would also is also considered to be lishma. But you see from here that all of the writing, or at least some of the writing itself. Has to be lishma, and this is a challenge to your interpretation of Rabbi Meir, Rav Nachman, and he can answer la kishu lishma ki lishma. No, what this beraita means to means to say is that if you're as long as you sign it. For the sake of a woman, that's uh, that's the part. That's the partial writing. Then it's as if you wrote the whole thing, lishma as well. It's just all, everything follows a signature. That's one answer he could say. Or another answer for all three questions that we just had. Is that they none of these uh none of those sources were the the the, the first one was a didashah on a pasuk, uh, the second one a mishnah, the third one a bedaitah, says hane matnitin, right? Uh, um, all these edic sources, the first one also is a midrash Halacha, could be a edic source on a pasuk. All these are not the opinion of Rabbi Meir, they're all the opinion of Rabbi El azad who says that the witnesses of transmission are the ones that affect the divorce, and because he doesn't need a Hatima, so he needs the writing to be Lishma. That's those sources. But I maintain that Nachman says that Rabbi Meir would disagree with all those sources those sources altogether, and because he does not require um, the writing to be Lishma. Alright, so far so good. Now we have Two two answers to the first starting question. The question was, how could a child or someone incompetent write a get? Don't they have to write it lishma? And the first answer assumed that it was the opinion, the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Elazar, who requires it to be written lishma, but there's an adult standing by them. Good. That was the first uh, answer. According to that, a would not be able to because he has a mind of its own. Um, uh, that was the um, that was the first answer of Rav Huna. Second answer of Rav Nachman is our Mishnah is actually not to be a Lazar but to be Meir. To be Meir does not require the writing to be lishma, and therefore all of these incompetent people and a, and a child and even a who who is competent but has a will of his own, all that's fine because all you need is someone who knows how to write but you don't need it to be written lishma. And now we have a third answer. Shemuel agrees that this is the opinion of Rabbi El-Azad, who does require that it be written lishma. but he says, he makes an ukimta, not that adult is standing over it, but rather that the, he, the scribe left the Torif. When it says that a child is writing it, or someone incompetent, they're only writing the toughest first. They're kind of leaving room. They're leaving room for the name and the place and the date, the the essential part, and they're just writing the standard formulas that are always in there in every get that you don't have to fill in. Um, so they're writing that part and leaving blank the tariff and then someone else will come, and, an adult scribe, and will fill in the tariff. Um, and so this is what Shemuel said and this is also what Ula said. We had a similar answer all yesterday uh, to uh, to answer a similar uh, problem. Um, that this is al Azad and that we he uh these not only write, wrote the tofes not the toref now the the name of Rabbi Ochanan, says this is not a, a a teaching now what does that mean my Torah. what is not a teaching and he says, he's referring to um, that he's saying that this law of Lishma has no force, right? There's no requirement for a get to be written Lishma. And in fact, the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, who says that it's the signatures that have to be Lishma, and the signatures are necessary. And so this would be the same as the answer of Rav Nachman, uh, that this uh, this Mishnah would be the opinion of Rabbi Meir. Okay, good. Now we have one last question. V'hamar Rabbah Bar-Balchanah, Rabbi Ochanan, Rabbi El Hold on, you just said this answer, the one that Rav Nachman said, you said it in the name of Rabbi Ochanan, right, Rabbi Zirika. But Rabbah bar said, also in the name of Rabbi Ochanan, that our Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi El Azad. And it's talking about right a case where he wrote the Tophis, but not the Toref. So we have a contradiction about what Rabbi Yochanan said. And the answer is Amora'en Huva, Libad Rabbi You're right, there is a machloket between two Amora'im about what Rabbi Hanan taught, right? There's two versions of what Rabbi Hanan taught. Uh, we just saw that, that Rav Nachman himself changed his mind. Maybe Rabbi Hanan changed his mind. Maybe uh, one, uh, one, one of the students uh, misunderstood what he said. Whatever it is, yes, in fact, there's two different versions of Rabbi Hanan. And so now we have those three different answers to how to interpret that Mishnah. Next, Mishnah, HaKol Kshirin Lahavi Etaget Hos Mehadesh Shoteh veqatan ve Sama anyone can be an agent for a get. There's a discussion about if this is referring to an agent of the husband or an agent of the wife. It's surely referring to an agent of the wife. It looks like a simple reading is that it's an agent agency either way. So anyone can be an agent to bring the get um, except for a deaf person, someone, someone mentally incompetent or a minor. And now this Mishnah is adding also a blind person and a non-Jew. So a blind person and Anju are Mentally competent. Uh, so we'll have to talk about what's wrong with them. Now, let's say someone changes status in the middle. Um, if someone is received a get, when they were a minor, as they were appointed, when they were a minor, but then they are they became an adult, right? Um, in the middle while they're while they're bringing it, it's no good because they were appointed when they were minors, so they were never appointed properly. And same thing if they were deaf when they were appointed, and then even if they became hearing later, if they were blind and then they were able to see, uh, in the middle, or if they were incompetent and then they got better or if there was a non-jew and then he converted uh, during in, in the middle while he's bringing it in all these cases it is no good uh, because the initial appointment as a shaliach was not proper aval pikakh pat but if someone was able to hear then and appointed and then in the, on, on the way on the journey he became deaf but then he got better only temporarily deaf and he got better and then he delivered it uh, that's fine uh, or he could see uh, when he was appointed but then he was not able to see temporarily but then he could see again and he delivers it that's fine or if someone was uh mentally competent but then became incompetent and became competent again and um and so when they finished their uh delivering or receiving the get then they were once again competent and they initially were competent when they were appointed so in all these cases that's fine the general rule is anyone who is uh, competent all right? and notice that it's talking about mental competence here so for um in the beginning and at the end all these are cases are fine the Gamera will point out is in a second that the da'at case uh, refers uh, it doesn't does apply to um, most of the ones above but not about the blind person who has a blind person has da'at all the way through all right so we understand that the first three they don't have have mental competence and therefore they cannot be appointed to do something because that is uh, uh, something that requires a serious level of responsibility. A non-Jew is not allowed to be a a, uh, a messenger for this purpose because they are not within the law of... Heted meaning permission by divorce uh, the the laws of Jewish marriage and Jewish divorce do not apply to non- jews, and therefore, since they' are not within the realm of these of these laws, they cannot be appointed as a messenger. On behalf of someone who is uh, bound by such laws. So now, what's wrong with a blind person? This person is Jewish and is fully mentally competent. Because he can't see, he doesn't know who is giving him the get and who he's giving it to. He can't see, they can't properly identify the uh, giver and the receiver, and that's an essential part of being a delivery. Um, agent. Rav Yosef objects to this. Wait a second. If you're telling me that a blind person is never able to recognize anyone else, how could he ever be permitted to sleep with his wife? How does he know it's his wife? Maybe it's somebody else. He shouldn't be allowed. Or let's say people who can see. Um, How could they be permitted to their wives at night? Remember, they didn't have electricity at night. It's pitch-black at night. So how do you know that that uh, this person is actually your wife? Maybe you should say you're not allowed to be with uh, with your wives at night because how can you properly identify if you can't see? Rather, Just like in uh, those cases of a person at night, there is also a way to recognize a person by voice. It's a very interesting phrase, ayna." literally it means um, the uh, regularity of one's eye, that one's eye uh, sees patterns um, and recognizes a person after you see someone a couple of times and you recognize that this is what they look like. Even though the, the word ayna" is assuming uh, um, uh, facial recognition uh, by sight, uh, but the phrase becomes a, a uh, it becomes a a, a a phrase in and of itself, um, and and then is attached to kala. So it means literally the recognition of sight. By a voice, so recognition of sight just means recognition, um, which is usually by sight. Most people they didn't have phones, so they weren't used to identifying people by uh, by voice. Uh, usually, if you hear someone, then you also see them in that in those days. Um, so recognizing that usually would be done by sight can also be done by voice when it's night time and so therefore here we can say the same thing, that a blind person can very, very well recognize people by their voice and he can receive the, uh, the get from the husband and he can deliver it to the uh, to the wife without any trouble. So that can't be the reason, Ela Amad Rav Yosef says a different reason, The reason why a blind person cannot be a messenger is because this Mishnah is specifically talking about someone who brings a get from outside the land of Israel um, and needs to say it was written and signed in front of me, which means he can't just hear the signature. He has to see the, the get being written and being signed. And a blind person cannot say it. So, in fact, if it was being brought within Israel uh, from uh, one city to the next, and you don't have to say this formula, then a blind person could be a messenger. But here's the problem. He can't say it was written. I saw it written in front of me. Abaye says, hold on. According to you, if someone was able to see and then became blind on the way, then it should be okay because he was able to see at the beginning. He saw the get being written and signed uh, and, uh, and then on the way he became blind. But he's still totally competent. He's Jewish, so he should be able to deliver it. But we can infer from the Mishnah that is not that is, that is not true because the Mishnah only says if someone was blind was seeing then they became blind then they became seeing again that then they are a good agent but if uh, right so all, that we can infer only if they were able to see again but if they were seeing and then became blind, and remained blind, then it would not be good. But according to your logic, that they should be valid. And the answer is, You're right. In fact, um, if someone was seeing, and then became blind, and remained blind, uh, they would be a good agent. And it would be totally fine. Now, how come the Mishnah didn't say so? The Mishnah would used the same formulation. Uh, by the way, because it was just uh, continuing and copying the formulation of the previous clause, there was talking about someone who was mentally competent became incompetent and became competent again. And in that case, in fact, you do need him to return, uh, because when he's appointed, he has to be competent. While he's traveling on the way, it's okay if he becomes incompetent, but when he delivers it, he has to be competent again. And so, since it had to have that formula there, where the Mishnah likes uh, likes to have a repetitive style, and so it said the same thing regarding the blind person. He was seeing, then he became blind, then he became seeing. But in fact, For this case, if even if you remain blind, it would be okay. He says, you're not just backing this into the Mishnah. This is actually a good reading of the Mishnah and can be seen from the last phrase when it gives a general uh, a general statement, as we pointed out in the Mishnah. The uh, generality at the end, the summary statement says, anyone whose beginning and end was with mental competence is good. Um, and so it's referring specifically to the people who were men- not meant to mentally or not mentally competent, like the mentally competent person or like the deaf person, has to be both in the beginning and at the end, they have to be good. Um, and it does not say anyone whose beginning and end was fit meaning you know fit as in seeing it doesn't give a more general statement but it focuses on competence because in fact only the mental competence ones that one has to be at the be- at, be- at the beginning and the end but beings being cited uh, being able to see is only necessary in the beginning and is actually not necessary at the end. All right, good. Now we have a question about the status of a slave to be an agent. Uh, note that the Mishnah oh, talked about um, other cases like a non-Jew um, and uh, others, but didn't talk about the status of a slave. Um, not not the person's own slave, but just so you know, any slave. Uh, can a Eved Kana'ani be a shaliach. See, the thing with an evid Kana'ani is that they're kind of somewhere between a Jew and a non-Jew. Uh, Eved Kanaani originally was not Jewish, and once they're freed, they will be fully converted and fully Jewish. While they're in Eved Kanaani, they have to do Mitzvot. It's the same uh, to the same level as a woman does, but they aren't aren't actually fully Jewish. Uh, it's uh, the free becoming free completes the. Um, the conversion ceremony. Uh, So therefore, uh, can they do it like a Jew or are they like a non-Jew? Can a slave be an agent to receive a uh, a get of a woman from the husband, right? The woman will tell tell a slave, go and receive a get on my behalf. And again, not her, not her slave who is her? whose hand would be like her hand, but rather she just goes to a slave, a th- someone else's slave, and say, be my agent. And the be answered, well, in our Mishnah it says a non-Jew cannot be an agent, but it doesn't say anything about an Ayved, so since it only talks about non-Jews, that means that an Ayved can be, a, um, can be an, uh, an agent. Good. Uh, so that's the opinion of Rabbi Ami. However, Amar Rabbi Rav Asay, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, and an Ayved Naaseh Naasah Shaliach leKabel Get Leisha Miad BaAlad, in Sheano B'Torat Gittin V'Kiddushin, Rabbi Yochanan disagrees and says that an Ayved cannot be an agent to receive a Get from the husband on behalf of the wife. Why? Because the servant, a slave, is not included in the laws of Gitin and Kiddushin. There is no halachic Kiddushin and Gitin for slaves. And so a slave has to be within bound by the same rules in order to be an agent for that system. Matkif la Rabbi El Azar. Rabbi al Azar challenges Rabbi Yochanan. Tamad b'mileteh b'mileteh de'leteh. Ava b'mileteh de'iteh kasher. Rabbi El Azar Rabbi Yochanan, Really, is that true? That an ayved only cannot be an agent in matters of halakha which do not pertain to them. But what if there was a matter of halakha that does pertain to them? Then they would be able to be an agent? Here I have a counterexample. Here is an example of even a non-Jew or a Samaritan who are basically more or less non-Jews. Um, and they yet they are included in certain halachot, right? The certain halachot that pertain to them, particularly to the Motan Masrat, hagoy nan. Hagoiva Teruma, a non-Jew or a Kuti who owns land in Israel, Samaritans, they lived in Israel. They own land in Israel, and non-Jews also can own land in Israel. Um, so they are the, that land, the produce, is still liable to Teruma and Maaser, because it's growing in Israel. And so now, let's say a non-Jew wants to take Teruma and Maaserot, on his own produce, not that they have not that they have a problem of eating tithumah, but let's say he wants to sell it to a Jew, and he can tell the Jew, "Listen, I I grew this on my land in Israel. I already took Tirumot and ma'asrot, and so now, uh, you can have it. You don't have to take it again." So the Mishnah says, "Yes, that's okay. There Tiruma is Tiruma. Furthermore, it says, "Utanan goy shel and But a non-Jew who um performs the removal of tedumah the separation of tedumah on behalf of a jew even with the jew's permission right the jew as a farmer he grows land in israel and he's not around so he tells the non-jew do me a favor be my shaliach." And take teruma for on this produce for me to separate it. That is no good. Um, now this is interesting because even though the non-Jew, is, the, the laws of teruma pertain to the non-Jew, yet he cannot be a a shaliach. My Tama, why can't I Why can't he be? Atem gam atem ma atem Yisrael chachem. Yisrael is it not because this pasu- is pasuk is referring to maaser sheni and says ken gam atem the gam in the simple reading is referring to the Leviim not only does Yisrael have to give to the maaser even you a Levi you who received maaser you also have to give t'rumat t'rumat maaser from everything but that you didn't actually need the word gam you could have said ken Atem. So this Atem, Gam Atem, the extra word Gam, teaches that just as you are Jewish, so too and the agent must be a full Jew. And that's the reason that even though non-Jews um, uh, and slaves, for that matter, uh, the laws of Tudema pertain to them, still they cannot be an agent. And so this is a counterexample That Rabbi Elazar cites against Rabbi Ochanan, and he and and he's saying that listen, even even if slaves were, even if the laws of Gitin and kiddushin pertained to slaves and non-Jews, they still would not be able to be a uh, a shaliach because right of this derasha that says only someone who is Jewish can be a shaliach, no matter what the matter is, even if it's something that. The laws pertain to, um, so that's uh, that's this, that's the challenge, and Rabbi Ochanan uh, can answer um, uh, on behalf of Rabbi Ochanan, We can offer an answer. Amri Debe will quote a uh, statement from the school of Rabbi Yanai. Don't say from the word atem gam atem. We should. There's a, a slight variation, but it makes an important difference. The different gam uh, atem does not mean that that. that you have to be a Yisrael, that you have to be fully Jewish in order to be an agent. It just means that you have to be Bene bedit. You, just like you, entered the covenant, so too your agents have to be people who entered the covenant. Now, a slave enters the covenant because you have to do a Brit Milah for an Eved Kena'ani gets a Brit Milah and is obligated in many of the mitzvot, all mitzvot, um, mitzvot lo and uh, mitzvot aseh she lo hazman geraman, uh, so the, even though the Ebed-Kinani is not fully Yisrael, he is ben Berit. Um, literally Berit Milah uh, uh, and other uh, Shabbat and other things that are part of the Berit. And so therefore this would explain why and BNI successfully explains why there's a distinction between a non-Jew and an Kanani. Ananju is not part of not been Berit and therefore cannot be an agent at all. Um, not even not for things that the law doesn't pertain to them and not even for things that the law does pertain to them like the masrot where a non can say separate their own but cannot be an agent um, because they are not Ben Berit. However, a, an Ayved, who is Ben Berit, um, uh, can be a messenger for things that pertain to them. Um, and, uh, and therefore, uh, they would be able to be an agent for something like Turumah and And the reason why they cannot be an agent for Get uh, is because, is only because the uh, laws of Gitin and Girushin do not apply to Evid uh, Kanaani. All right, good. We now quote a longer version of the statement of Rabbi Yochanan. The one above was quoted by Rav Aseh. And uh, this one includes that same quote, but continues on with an elaboration. And this one is in the name of Rabbi Chiyabat Abba. Amar Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, En lekabel get isha ba'ala. So this we already saw. A, an ha'aved cannot be a messenger to receive a get from the husband because the laws of getin and kiddushin do not pertain to him uh, now, now the second part is very difficult to explain, and that's why we're going, the Gemara is going to explain it. We're shifting from the laws of, res- of being a shaliach for a get, to being a shaliach for a writ of emancipation. Now, the laws of emancipation do apply to avadim, obviously. And so, a non-Jew can receive their own, his own, or her own um, get of emancipation and that works and evid also can be a messenger so a master can give a, a, a third party eved right someone uh, his friends eved can send can come to that eved and say here receive this um uh, writ of emancipation on behalf of my slave that that can also happen because they can be a shaliach they are ben birit and this is laws that do apply uh, apply to them and now uh, Biochanan here is teaching uh, something even though we have to f- explain that even though um, even though we said that. Um, a man, uh, a master can, uh, give a writ of, uh, emancipation to his slave and say, and say, um, you are remain my maidservant, but you're pregnant and your child, this fetus, will be free. If she was pregnant, then it works and the maidservant can receive the writ on behalf of the unborn child. Okay, now, so this is an AFLP. It's not really clear why, what's the AFLP here, um, but we understand there is a distinction that Abiyochanan is making between um, uh, an Evid being a shaliach for a get, which he cannot do because the laws, those laws do not apply to him, but can be a shaliach for um, a get of, for, of emancipation because those laws do apply. But why is he saying specifically what's special about a, a pregnant woman receiving it on behalf of her fetus? That we'll have to explain now. So what does that mean? What is this case? So when Rav Shemuel Bar Yehuda, when he came from Eretz Israel, he said that Rabbi Hanan is actually saying two separate things, right? Don't mix them together. The first statement of Rabbi Yochanan was about a get, an Eved receiving a Get-Nashim. He, Those laws don't pertain to him, so he cannot be a shalikh for Get-Nashim. The second is a different matter, and uh, he said, It seems to me, it makes sense, that a slave can receive a get shikhrur Avadim on behalf of a different slave, Um, from the master of his friend, but not from his own master. In other words, if a master has two slaves, he cannot give the get to one slave on behalf of the other slave. The reason is because when a master gives something to a slave, the slave's hand is like his own, and therefore his own. Slave A receives it, and it's not going to be on behalf of slave B, no matter, even if they say so, because it's just going to go right back, slingshot back, to the master so we can't do it. Uh, on the other hand, if the master gives, a, gives the uh, get out to a different slave his friend's slave, so his friend's slave is not like his own hand, that person can be appointed as a messenger and say, receive this on behalf of my slave. That's fine, because it's not going to slingshot back to the master. He can receive it on behalf of his friend. Um, now, uh, so that's the presumption. Now, if a master gives a get to his own slave, that certainly does work, because in that case, even though the slave's hand is like the master's, the slave is also going free at the same time. So that works because at the very same moment, simultaneously, he's going, he's receiving it and going free. And so we say that yes, they can; those two, um, those two events can happen at the same time. And he can receive because he's free at the moment he receives it. They happen simultaneously. He is, he can receive his own thing and. Um, become free together. But if it's to a different slave of the same master, then that doesn't work because the slave who's receiving it isn't going free. All right, good. So uh, that's the second statement of Rabbi Yochanan. But Rabbi Yochanan is now adding something more to this. Vim Lachashach Lach לחשחה אדם לומר זו הלכה שנויה אם הייתה עוברה לו, לא אמר לו שתשני גדולי הדור פרשו את הדבר רבי זרה ורבי שמואל בר רב ישחק if someone should whisper a challenge to you and say, hold on, what Rabbi Chanan said over here is not true, because we have a challenge from the following that says, if she was pregnant, she can receive a get on behalf of her fetus. That's why he says the, the words, uh, in other words, this whole thing that Rabbi Yochanan said here, that an Evid can receive something on behalf of a different slave from a different master, um, that you have to stick in between. It's kind of unsaid. It's assumed. Um, and then after that is uh, is even though uh, we said in a braita this this braita, Nevertheless, Rabbi Yochanan says, I, "What I said is true." Okay, so that's that. This this this, uh, this uh, statement that Rabbi Yochanan is uh, missing some words, or it's written in, in very shorthand. Okay, so we're expanding it now. What uh, so what, the, what 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 would be the challenge from this braita The braita teaches that a slave woman can receive a get. Of uh, a get shechurur on behalf of her fetus. Now, if we assume the fetus is a different being, is a separate, its own individual being, its own life, now we have a one servant receiving a get on behalf of another servant, even though they're both owned by the same master. And yet it says it works. But according to you, Rabbi you said, no, it only makes sense that a one servant can receive. Can be a messenger to receive a get on behalf of a servant of a different master, but not of the same master. So, what are you going to do with this baraita? If someone should ask you that, then you should tell him already uh, two great uh, sages explained it. We're going to take their statements together. One of them says that this baraita is the opinion of Rabi Udanasi who said that if someone frees half of his slave, that works. If a master gives a getchichirur to his slave and says, and in this, in, in this document says, you are half free, that still works, even though he's half a slave and therefore that half cannot acquire anything for himself. But since half of him is free, So, his free half is sufficient that he can acquire the document for himself and thereby be half free. That's one statement. The other sage um, followed up and elaborated, And what is the reasoning of the be regarding this case of a pregnant woman where it's not, it's not the right half and left half or 50% of every molecule, but rather it's the, it's her, the fetus and the rest of her body. yerech uh, Rabbi thinks that a fetus is not considered its own separate life but rather is a limb of the mother's body, and therefore it's just like the master gave over freed one of her limbs. The master can say, Here I'm giving you this uh get this getchid so that your arm will be free, or your right half will be free. That works, and therefore it also works if the part of her body that he happens to be freeing is her fetus. And even though the fetus will be born, and then will become its own separate life, and that life will be a free person, um, it still works because uh, it's not a case of one slave receiving on behalf of another uh, another slave that's owned by the same master. Those will not work, but in this case it does work because it's not two separate slaves, it's just two parts of one slave. Alright, and we'll start off with the start the next Mishnah. Very interesting Mishnah, also about who can be a messenger. Now, generally, a woman can be a messenger to to receive a get or to bring a get. Um, that's totally fine. Um, and um, uh, okay, but now we're gonna see some exceptions. Now, um, Nashim, even those women who cannot say met ba'ala, okay, back up a second, a woman also is believed to say that a certain person's husband has died, right? If a woman is out in the, on a trip and uh, sees some guy die, she can come back and tell the wife. Listen, I saw your husband is dead, and the court will believe her, even though she's one witness, even though she is a woman, um, because we want to go the extra mile for the so that the wife not be an aguna. Maybe there's nobody else that uh, that saw that the husband is dead. So we believe most women to say that um, that the husband is dead. However, there's a group of women who we are suspicious of because they have evil intent. And these are actually a woman's closest, some of her somewhat closest relatives or rather in-laws. Okay, so the following um, people are not believed to say that your husband has died. And that would be a mother-in-law and uh, the daughter of a mother-in-law, meaning a sister-in-law, a co-wife. And uh, sister-in-law is as uh, from in term from her husband's brother's wife, um, and so in other words, her hus- either her husband's sister or her husband's brother's wife. Two types of sisters-in-law, and um, the husband's daughter, meaning a stepdaughter. All these people have some jealousy, either financial interest, because this woman will be taking some of the uh, some of the inheritance. Uh, for example, the mother in law maybe she brought some property into her marriage when she was first married and that means that when her husband dies the father-in-law dies who's gonna inherit the son and uh, then if the son inherits so her daughter-in-law is going to be a beneficiary of some of the things that she brought into the marriage and uh, anyway um, you you know from uh, common experience that the the relationship between a woman and her mother-in-law and sisters-in-law are not always great, and certainly a stepdaughter is going to be, and a co-wife is certainly even worse. That their the, her name means sada means a, a actual pain. So all these people because. There it's there's a, a likelihood they had that they have some enmity towards the woman they may want to mess up her life what's a good way to mess up someone's life well you go co- when when your husband is away on a trip this person will come and say oh I saw your husband is dead and then the wife will then remarry maybe have children and then the her husband will come back and find that there's a big problem and now they won't be able to remain married they'll have to get divorced she will be married to someone that she's not not allowed to be married to, and after divorce, if they have children, they'll be mamzerim. And so you can successfully break up that marriage, get rid of this woman, and cause her tremendous, tremendous problems. Um, so uh, therefore, these people who have natural enmity towards a person, we do not believe them if they say they saw the husband died. All that's background. Now this Mishnah adds to that that even though we don't believe these women to say that a, a woman's that a wife's husband died, they are believed to bring a get. If they bring a get and say, "Listen, I was appointed as a messenger, and here is your get," um, and we believe that it is valid, and we don't suspect that she forged the get and is delivering it so that the she the wife will go and remarry and cause problems. That is not a, we, we don't worry about that. Why? Ma ben What's the difference between the case of divorce and the case of death where we believe them? Uh, when they bring a get but we do not believe when they re- bring a report that the husband has died when, when you have a get you have a written document and that is the that as adds, adds proof that's proof that there is a get here and she is just bringing it uh, whereas when someone uh, comes and says your husband died does she there's no documentation at all it's all her words and so we can't believe her words but if she has some supporting evidence and she's just adding that I am a proper Messenger so then we can believe her and the wife herself she can also be a messenger as long as she says the formula that it was written and signed in front of me uh, why would she need to be a messenger if she's there why not why don't she just receive it oh it could be a case where let's say they're uh, for they're away in a different country and the husband gives it to her but he says listen i don't want this to take effect now only when you get to the betin i want it to take effect in the betin in Jerusalem." Uh, and so she will carry her own get and she is authorized as a messenger to carry her own get and then when she gets to the betin in Jerusalem, she basically gives it to herself or or rather it takes effect when she gets to that betin and it's authorized there Okay, so that's the Mishnah. Now, the Gemara is going to ask, This Mishnah contradicts a Braita, because Abraita says, just these women, these in-laws, just like they are not believed to say that a person's husband has died, so too they are not trusted to bring the get. We suspect that maybe they forge forge the get or or uh just found it or something and it is not a valid get uh av yosef lakashan baades kan ba hosal adres rav yosef um, uh, explains that the Mishnah, well, that says it's okay, is talking about within Eretz Yisrael. The Braita that says it's no good, is talking about when she brings it from outside the land of Israel. What's the difference? When she's bringing it from one place to the other in Eretz Yisrael, where she doesn't have to say any formula at all, so we're not relying on her words. So then we can believe her, because she's just bringing a get, so the get is there that is proof in and of itself if it needs to be verified then we'll find the witnesses and we'll verify it and so she we don't have to rely on her words she's not adding much and she's just presenting the get Good, then she's trusted, and that's the case of the Mishnah. Whereas the Braita that says she's not believed, that's talking about when she brings it from outside the land of Israel, where not only does she have to say have to have to bring it, the physical document, she also has to say B'fana'i nechtab u'b'fana'i nechtam. And in that case, maybe she's lying. Maybe she did not in fact see it. Um, and based on her words we're going to use that as a pre-ratification. Well, maybe we cannot trust her and uh, maybe she's making it up, maybe she's lying, and so because she's not only just bringing it, but we need to be, her words need to be reliable. Um, if it's one of these in-laws, they are not reliable, and so that explains the difference. Uh, we'll start tomorrow with the challenge of Abaye, that actually uh, it seems like it should be the other way around. If she needs to say the uh, formula, then um, uh, once she says the formula that's pre-ratified and no one can ever challenge it so that this in-law will not cause her any problems. I mean she'll be divorced but she won't have any possible problems of uh, adultery if she goes and is with someone or marries somebody else. And so it should be the opposite, where when she brings it within Israel, then she may rely on it, go get married, and then someone can challenge it. And will find out that it was in fact forged. So we'll uh, talk about that challenge of Abayet tomorrow. Baruch Adonai l'olam. Amen v'amen.